Amen. Well, good morning, beloved. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, and we'll begin in verse 1. And as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, every week we're seeing every story, every major encounter here with Christ. We're seeing the power of Jesus on display with, with the love of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus and the kindness of Jesus all shining and kind of the juxtaposition of that on the other side is we see the foolishness of his disciples. Their cluelessness constantly colliding with the awesomeness of Jesus. Whether it's Peter saying, no, you shouldn't be crucified, or Peter sinking as he's walking on water, or um, them not believing the things he's saying, them not being able to cast out and, and help others, whatever it is, it's their cluelessness colliding with his awesomeness. And that really is the Christian life. We are often clueless, confused, bumbling about, going in the wrong direction, and it's the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the mercy of Jesus that bumps into us and shows us the way again, and that's so what we find today. The disciples are going to ask Jesus about greatness. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus pulls the rug out from under their question and redirects them and us to tr true and enduring greatness. And that's in 18.1, and we're going to read through 14. And if you're able, let's stand together in honor of reading of the words of Christ, and it'll also be up on the screen. Verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the child and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, who, and whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses will inevitably come, but woe to that person by whom the offense comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hellfire. See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones. Because I tell you that in heaven their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray... Won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. This is God's word. You may be seated. The goat, 
the greatest of all time. If you've ever, if you're not that into sports culture and you hear people talk about the goat, the goat, you're like, why are they talking about goats all the time? It means greatest of all time. And when, anytime I see the word greatest, is when the disciples ask, who's the greatest in the kingdom? I always think about the goat. And even if you don't care about sports or you're not that into boxing, you've at least heard the name Muhammad Ali. And if you're not that into tennis, you've heard of Serena Williams. If you're not that into basketball and you've never heard of Michael Jordan, you are not from this planet. That little logo of his is everywhere. You can be, I could be in a, the middle of Columbia out in the sticks and there is the Michael Jordan logo. You've heard of Tom Brady, so on, Tiger Woods, over and over. Every sport has a goat or a debate over who is the goat. And I think every area of life, every arena of life has pursuits of goatiness. You don't want to be the worst in your job. You hopefully try and do your best. And if you're really driven, you want to be the best the best salesperson, the best driver, the best teacher, the best lawyer, the best team player, whatever it is, there are goat levels everywhere. We are built, it's built into us to want to achieve. It's right hardwired into the Garden of Eden that we would take dominion, that we would cultivate, that we would make things grow. And that's not wrong, but because of sin now, we just need to redefine and redirect it. And that's why the disciples asked Jesus, look at verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is bringing about on earth now and forever. It's the way of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, and it's spreading all over the earth. Those who have been made new by the power of Christ and believing his promises. And these guys ask Jesus, hey, who are the goats of your kingdom? And tucked into the word so is a lot. Tucked into that is them thinking, it's gotta be us, right? We're your disciples. We're your interns. Peter's probably thinking, I walked on water, man. I gotta be one. And the Gospel of Mark tells us even more bluntly in the parallel account of this. Mark tells us they're actually arguing amongst themselves who is the greatest. Can you imagine that? A group of Christians arguing who's gonna be the greatest Christian in the kingdom of Christ. You gotta imagine this whole scenario. Peter arguing, hey, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where were you, Bartholomew? Thomas, you weren't there. I was there. It has to be me. I walked on water. And then James tells him, yeah, but you also called, Jesus also called you the devil, so you're out. And you also sank, so you're out. And as they're arguing with each other, Mark tells us that Jesus hears them, that they're actually ashamed. I mean, imagine eating, I know a lot of small groups meet on on Sunday night. Uh, Imagine eating dinner tonight with your small group and and an argument breaks out over who has a greater rank in eternity that y'all are comparing what you did, how much Bible you read. You're comparing your good works and how far of a mission trip you went on and how long your mission trip was. And you're legitimately arguing, I'm gonna be greater than you in the kingdom because of these things. This is a crazy scene. To, to legitimately have this debate is to not have a shred of humility present. Not a shred of humility to actually have this conversation. 
And that's where Jesus directs them. Look at how Jesus answers their question, verse two. He called a child and had him stand among them. There amidst the 12. Brings a child over and says in verse three, truly I tell you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. A kid is where he redirects them. There they are standing, and then Jesus brings a kid over in the middle of them and says, look at this kid. You want to know what greatness looks like? Greatness in the kingdom? Right here. But even before Jesus gives them that answer, Jesus, before he even talks about greatness in the kingdom, he begins at the beginning. Unless you turn and become like children, you cannot even enter the kingdom. He tells them, guys, before you should worry about being great, you should make sure you are in. How to enter the kingdom is what Jesus directs them to. And Jesus wants to make sure that we all understand the beginning of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. That you can't leapfrog the step. You, you can't skim it. Sometimes people just want to get to the principles and teaching points of Jesus on how to live a better life and how to be a better person and how to unlock your potential and all, all that kind of stuff. Jesus does not start there. And, and, and neither should we. Jesus says we all need some kind of turning moment in our lives. Some kind of fork in the road, decisive moment where we know we can head one way or we can head another and we see the options and we turn. That's why he says, you should circle that word in verse three, unless you turn. Unless you turn. Jesus is alluding to conversion here. A decisive moment in your life where you conclude the way my life is right now is not what God wants. I must go the other way. There is no Christianity, there is no Christian life that exists without a conversion, a turning moment. You must turn. You must be born again, John would say. And, and turn and have your life be changed and seen as the metaphor Jesus uses is that as a child. Why? Why a child? Why not a sheep? He uses that a lot. Why a kid? Well, let's think about kids. First thing, they are totally dependent on others, aren't they? And they recognize this most of the time. They ask for permission a lot of times. Can I do this? Can I go there? Can friends come over? Can we go to the park? Can we go practice soccer? Can I have this soda? Can you, can you open this soda? Not only are they asking for permission, they ask for help. I can't count how many times Oliver comes to me. Will you open this? Will you open this? Will you open this? Will you help me with my homework? Not Oliver, that's Ivy. He's in kindergarten. His homework's cutting. Um, <laughs> will you help me beat this level on Mario? They, they know they need permission. They know they need help because children are under authority. Children are not in charge of their lives. Their smallness requires the help of others. They need permission. They need help. They're under authority. And I love this next part about kids. Kids are, are all in. 
full-hearted, and not easily embarrassed in whatever they're doing. They dive full strength into whatever they're playing, whatever they're doing with their friends. They're singing loud in a restaurant. They're laughing hard in front of strangers. And no, they don't care. They don't care that people know what they're thinking, know what they're playing with. It doesn't matter if you're in the United States or when I was in Colombia, there was this one kid in a restaurant. He had these two action figures and he was playing so hard with those action figures and so loud and he was running all over the restaurant with those things. He was all in. He did not care that there's strangers everywhere looking at him. So listen, have you turned and realized this about yourself? That you are totally dependent on God. The breath you have, how did you even get on this planet? How did you end up here this morning? It's all God. How about depending on God for, for salvation, for new life, for forgiveness of sins, for your guilt to be removed, for you to get into the kingdom? We must be like children and say, someone has to give it to me. Someone has to open it for me. Someone has to invite me in. And that's why Jesus says, I'm the door. I am the way. And you can be saved by me. We are to turn and become like children is to realize we are totally dependent on Jesus. And so you must convert. You must decide. You must follow Jesus and realize we're under his gracious authority. And that to turn and become like children is then to realize I'm not in charge of my life. Jesus is. God is in charge of my life. And that Jesus has better ideas for how to run my life than I do. I mean, every time my kids disagree with me about something, and I'm sure every time your kids disagree with you about something, we tell them what? Trust me, I know what I'm doing. I mean, even if it's we're driving somewhere, and Oliver Ivy be like, do you know where we're going? Yes. How? I grew up here. I know where we're going. Mm, this doesn't look right. You're 11. You're 6. Like, I know where I'm going. Just trust me. Our Lord is the same way. He knows what he's doing. And he says, trust me. Turn to me. And at the same time, like a kid's, like kids being rarely embarrassed, those of us who, are, who have turned, who, who have converted, don't be embarrassed about turning and following him. Be committed to it. Like, like a child laughing loud in a restaurant, be all in. I mean, let the joy of being forgiven by Jesus and his death and his resurrection, let that actually spill out of your life. Let that be known throughout your life. So have you turned? I know you've been coming to church for a while or you grew up in church or you have a Christian family, Christian church, whatever. Have you converted? Have you been born again? You must enter the kingdom and this is how with that turning of simple faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. That his cross was for your sins, that he rose for your new life, and it can begin today. And if you have, Jesus now wants to talk to us about being goats in the kingdom. Look at verse four. Therefore, if you've turned... If you have converted, how he says, look, this is what greatness in my kingdom looks like. Whoever 
humbles himself like this child. This one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So on the heels of them arguing about who's greater, who's greater, Jesus turns and now he answers their question. But he doesn't do what we'd expect him to say, at least not what I would expect him to say here. You guys want to know who the greatest is? I would have thought Jesus would say, me, dummies. Me. I'm the greatest. Duh. Have you seen me for 18 chapters, what I've been doing compared to you? But that's not what Jesus does. Which is true. He is the greatest. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. But Jesus models here what he's talking about. Jesus is humble. And Jesus doesn't call for the spotlight on himself at the moment. Instead, he answers what he's been modeling for them this whole time and what he will continue to model for them all the way to when he's nailed to a Roman cross. And that it's this, humble yourself. Humble yourself like this child. Now, Jesus points out the humility of a child, namely the status of kids. Their place in Roman culture and Jewish culture is not like American culture today. This wouldn't have translated as well today. Because today, it's like kids are the point of the family in the United States. Like people worship their kids, and it's sickening in all the ways that what's happening. They become idols. But in Roman Jewish culture, kids were ignored. They were in the background. They were thought of not as important. Um, they were just kind of seen as, wait till they grow up and they can pull their own weight on the farm or in the market or whatever. So Jesus, right here, takes what is in the background of Roman and Jewish life and then puts it in the forefront and shows them, and says, this is what greatness looks like. This, this humble child. This ignored person. This forgotten person. This non-spotlit person. Greatness in the world is getting noticed. Greatness in the kingdom of God is noticing others, serving others, being for others. Humility is not, as the scriptures say elsewhere, thinking highly of yourself, but it's, it's in the thinking lowly of others. It is thinking lowly of yourself and thinking highly of others. That's greatness in the kingdom. And so here's what, what Jesus is telling us, that all of our Bible reading, all of our pursuit of knowledge, all of our serving, all these things are so important. But that's not the answer to greatness in the kingdom. See, I think a lot of American Christianity, we think greatness in the kingdom is knowing a lot of the Bible, knowing a lot of theology, um, giving a lot to the church, being all in at church, and those things are important. But humility is, in all of our spiritual activities, and all of our Christian pursuits, should, should be leading to the humble service of others. Serving without fame, without acknowledgement. Serving people that are forgotten. Serving people and, and loving and pointing others to Jesus. Those that don't get the, the glitz and the glam. Like, for example, do you know that in our church, families from our church every week go to Parsons House Assisted Living Center and put on a church service for the elderly there? Every week. To forgotten elderly people. Jesus would say, that's greatness. That's greatness in the kingdom. There are people in our church who go and minister to inmates and a very small number of them. It's a high commitment. But I know Pastor Barry's there regular. He wishes more would go. 
and share the gospel with inmates and to treat them like human beings, make them cookies, pray for them. That's greatness. And I just saw this past week, uh, Houston Northwest Church, our friends just down the road, put on a dance, kind of like a, a prom for people with special needs and had a dance for them. That's greatness. Humble service to others. And there's really a sidebar comment here from Jesus. It kind of turns, and it's, it's in verse five, when he says, and whoever welcomes one child like this. So I don't even think he's speaking metaphorically anymore. I think he's speaking pointedly now. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me, welcomes, welcomes me. Jesus knows kids are, in the first century, are mistreated and ignored. And he gives this kid dignity in the midst of his 12 disciples, teaching his church, give kids dignity. So listen, every, every kid in, in this room, my son, uh, Bulls kids, Grimmy kids, I see all, all kinds of kids all, all over, all over. Jesus loves you. And Jesus notices you. Jesus cares about you. Sometimes adults ignore you. They let, we let our silly phones distract us from you. But listen, Jesus sees you and he loves you. And adults, Jesus is telling us right now in this room to do ministry to kids, orphans, fostering, mentoring, adopting, teaching on Sundays. Jesus is saying right here, that's greatness in my kingdom. That that is ministry to a group of people that don't get enough attention. And so if, if you serve in Redeemer Kids, would you stand up for a second? I, like you guys are all wearing the shirts. It's like, oh, not us. Yeah, you're wearing the shirt. So stand up, Sandy, there you are. Toby. These are great servants in the kingdom of God. And what they do Jesus is telling us about them, saying, this is kingdom greatness. Receiving a child in my name and ministering to them. You can be seated. And ministering to them. Jesus says, that's greatness. Receiving a child in my name. Welcoming them in my name. Giving your time to them in my name. Opening your home to them. Opening the Bible to them. Telling them about me in my name. That's greatness. And listen, I hope you hear everything I'm about to say with as much benefit of the doubt and love uh, from a pastor that you can. It is immensely frustrating to me that there is a running joke in our church and churches like ours that the hardest ministry to get people to serve in is the kids' ministry. Do you know why that is? It's because of pride. Because people are seeking the wrong kind of greatness. People want the stage, people want more public ministry, or people just don't want to be around kids. To that, Jesus says, I guess you don't want to be great in the kingdom then. That you don't get it. If we believed, verse five, what Jesus is saying here, we would have too many people willing to serve in the kids' ministry. There, there would be too many people wanting to pray over babies in the nursery. There'd be a waiting list of people wanting and itching to teach three and five-year-olds about Jesus. But we don't. We don't have enough workers. We, we need more. We need at least 24 every semester. And some people do it semester after semester after semester. And so hear me. I, I'm not kidding. 
if we don't get enough workers soon for the next semester, if we don't get enough, I'm not going to preach anymore up here. I'm gonna teach back there, wherever, wherever I'm needed back there. I'm gonna go teach kids. I'm not gonna preach here anymore. I'm gonna teach them. Because I think Jesus would be back there teaching the forgotten children. Because I would rather teach kids who are being ignored than adults who are ignoring them. Church, we all must humble ourselves. And that's when we'll realize what it means to be truly great in the kingdom of God, to serve others. And Jesus tells us, if you wanna be great, humble yourself. Do the things that you don't want to do and do them for others. Serve others, love others. And if you wanna be great, make sure you've entered in. And if you wanna continue in the kingdom, you wanna keep going in the kingdom, look at what Jesus says next. He says, hey, listen, let me tell you how to endure in the kingdom. They didn't ask Jesus about this next part. They just asked about being great. And Jesus says, you know what part of that is? Is enduring, is making it lasting in the kingdom. Because listen, living the Christian life isn't easy. Living out the kingdom ethic can be a challenge. There are temptations. There are people that will try and trip you up. And Jesus gives counsel in verse six. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to fall away, it'd be better if they hung a heavy rock around their neck and were drowned in the ocean. That's intense. So if Jesus says, listen, there are gonna be Christians that people are gonna try and lead you astray. They're gonna try and injure your walk with Jesus. And for those people that do that, it'd be better for them before they could do that, before they could lead one of my little ones away, it would be better for them to hang a big rock around their neck and be drowned in the ocean. It's pretty graphic and scary. On the flip side of that, what we learn from Jesus is how much he cares about your life. How much he wants you to walk with him and enjoy him. That those that harm you, Jesus says, it would be better for them if they were drowned in the ocean because what they would have coming, they would not want to have happen to them. Jesus wants us to endure with him. And listen, it's, it's impossible for a true Christian to lose their salvation. It can, it can never happen. But there are people who say they're Christians all the time and then they fall away, the scripture's talking about, or they turn away from Jesus. They stop obeying him, they stop following him. They are not a part of any church. And Jesus says, the, scripture, the language of the scriptures in Hebrews 6 as well, they fell away. They were a part of the body. They looked like they were in, and then they fell off. Jesus is teaching us in this whole last section is that true disciples make it to the end. That's why he says, I want you to endure. That's why all the warning passages in Hebrews about making it to the end, enduring to the end, enduring to the end. That's what Jesus wants for everyone in this room that's a disciple. That true followers of Jesus endure till the end. Fans of Jesus come and go. Followers are forever. And we, we, get, we understand this in every other area of life. Imagine you were competing for the Olympics. Olympics is a summer. Imagine you were competing for the Olympics uh, for javelin. Javelin doesn't get enough respect nowadays, but let's talk about javelin. You trained for a couple of years. You read all the stuff about the technique. You ate the right way for two years. You were disciplined. 
And then about two months before the Olympics, uh, I don't want to do it anymore. You throw in the towel. You stop training. You stopped eating right. But you still show up in Tokyo because you're registered. You don't compete. And then the medal ceremony comes up and you think, I should get a medal. I said I was an Olympian. I, I trained like an Olympian. I said I was a javelinian thrower. I, I ate the stuff. I did it all. Yeah, so I didn't finish out the last two months. But so what? I want the medal. Are they going to get a medal? No. We know. No, you're not getting one. You didn't finish it out. Real Olympians see it till the end. And real Christians, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we see Christ and we trust Christ till the end. That's 1 Corinthians 9. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way to win the prize. Run. Don't just say you're going to run. Run. Don't just say you're going to live the Christian life. Live it. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They don't receive. They, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So Paul says the same thing. Olympians and athletes, they run till the end. They go for the prize. And so us too, Christian, we run till the end. And Paul writes about self-control because that will be the battle with yourself to endure till the end. The Jesus says there will be woes and temptations from the world. They will come. But the battle, the most intense battles you will face in your life will be with yourself. And that's what Jesus talks about in verses eight and nine. He talks about self-control in the way that Paul does. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It'd be better to enter life maimed or lame than to have both hands and both feet. Your eye, gouge it out. Throw it away. He, he's talked about this already in the Sermon on the Mount, but he does it again because Jesus wants us to take sin seriously. It's not that, and it's, it's not even that sinning a little bit. I think we can misunderstand this, that, oh, if we sin a little bit, it's going to destroy us. That's not what Jesus is talking about. We, we have Jesus and the cross and the tomb for those things. We have his grace. We have blood. We have forgiveness. What Jesus is talking about is the perpetual, unrepentant, not wanting to turn away kind of sinning. This is what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says, if you see that problem in your life, I'm losing again and again and again here. Jesus says, believers should see that and go, I don't want to lose anymore. I want to win. I want to honor Christ. I don't want to fall into this sin anymore. So I got to cut it out. I got to cut the instrument that is leading to that, that is rolling out the red carpet to that and welcoming that sin into my life. I got to cut it out. And he uses hand, foot, eye. Obviously, it's hyperbole. It's exaggerated on purpose. But the point is this. Whatever is enabling sin in your life, whatever is breathing into temptations that could cause you to fall away, that are causing you to Go astray, Jesus says, cut it. Could be technology, could be social media. And sometimes when we think about social media, we think about lust. But there's also anger. There's also envy. There's also sloth. 
That's why I, I just had to delete Twitter and Facebook um, and, and social media off of my phone because I was just, with self-control, I was too tempted just to fritter away time when there's plenty to do for the kingdom of Christ. And social media isn't one of them. It, it could, for me, that's just for me. For you, it could be hobbies. It could be going to the gym. It, it could be anything. And the Holy Spirit, I trust, will reveal it to you. That whatever jumps into your mind when you hear your Lord say, cut this out, whatever the Spirit brings to your mind, that's it, and don't ignore him. He is graciously revealing to you, remove these things. Remove these things so that you can endure because the, the threat is real to be thrown into the eternal fire. It's better, he says at the end of verse nine, it's better to have one eye than have two into the hell fire. Jesus is gonna say, real Christians, real disciples, make it to the end. And one of the evidences of them making it to the end is they might be missing an eye. They might be missing a foot. Because real disciples will do whatever they must do to walk with Christ faithfully, to remove sin from their life. And listen, you might feel like you've wandered too much, you sinned too much, you feel like you've gone astray, you, you've got this perpetual sin in your life, and you're just like, maybe I'm not a Christian, maybe I'm not saved, I just have all this going on in my life. Um, Jesus is gonna say, listen for a moment, he's gonna say, don't, don't despair. If you feel like that's you right now, don't despair. And he says this parable of the lost sheep in verses 10 through the end. See to it that you don't despise one of these little ones. And he's talking about these, these Christians that are, are struggling. Because I tell you that in heaven, their angels continually view the face of my Father in heaven. Okay, just for a second. Guardian angels? Are there guardian angels? Sure, I don't know. Um, right here, it sounds like they're angels. Does each person have their own? I don't know. It's not specific. There's not enough information in the, in the Bible about it. But clearly, there are angels who serve us and help us. We see that in the book of Hebrews too. Ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So, so we, we have heavenly assistance from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and, and angels too. But now, verse 12, Jesus says, what do you think? If someone has 100 sheep and one goes astray, just one, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go and search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than, oh, more than over the 99 who did not go astray. So you're a shepherd. You got 100 sheep. One goes astray. What do you do? American shepherding mindset would be like, I got 99. Who cares? Not this shepherd, though. One goes astray, and he says, I'm going to look for it. He goes and he finds it and he rejoices over that sheep. He loves that sheep. He didn't hold, hold it against the sheep for going astray. He rejoiced over him. And listen, if you feel like you've wandered from God, you, you, you've sinned too much or you've been engaged in a sin for too long, there are words here that you should point out. I love in verse 12, one that goes astray. Sometimes, disciples of Christ, we do go astray. In Luke 15, Jesus gives a, a parable of, of lost sheep, but that's towards unbelievers. This one is about believers. 
that have gone astray, that are now strays, verse 12. And if, if you come back, if, if the shepherd finds you, you hear his voice and you come back, he rejoices over you. He, he doesn't hold it against you. He welcomes you back. Just like Shrek the sheep. Have you ever heard of Shrek the sheep? Shrek the sheep ran away from his shepherd in New Zealand and hid in caves for six years. He hated getting his wool cut. He got so huge. I mean, look at him when they found him. He could barely walk. His wool was too heavy. He got up to over 60 pounds of wool. So they had to pick him up. They had to bring him home. And they sheared him, restored him. And he became a celebrated celebrity sheep. International famous sheep. I mean, we're talking about a sheep right now on Sunday morning. His shepherd was so happy to see him and bring him home. And friends, that's us. And God is the shepherd. That's verse 14. This whole story, Jesus turns in verse 14 and says, and in the same way, just like that shepherd rejoices over that sheep that's gone astray, and the same way, it is not the will of your father. See, your father. It is not the will of your father in heaven that one of these little ones prepares. He, he wants to bring you back. He wants to welcome you back. And maybe you feel like you've gone far from God. You grew up in church, or maybe you're growing up in church now. You used to call yourself a Christian, but now you've gone astray. But listen, God is looking for you. He's calling out to you today. You hearing his word right now, this moment, is an act of your shepherd saying, I'm over here. Don't run. Come, come back. And if you come to him, he won't cross his arms and, and shake his head. The Bible says he will rejoice over you more than he rejoices everyone else in the church right now who's faithfully walking with Christ. When he sees you coming home and he calls you out, he says, yes, I love you. Welcome back. Because God loves to save sinners. Because the truth is we have all gone astray. Because we all, like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. Isaiah 53, and we have each turned to our own ways, but the Lord punished Christ. The Father put Christ on the cross for the iniquity, for the sins of us all. The Bible is saying to us that Jesus died for our straying, that Jesus died in our place, that he took our punishment. He, he took what we deserve. That's, that's what Jesus is doing on the cross. All of our sins piled on him. All of our going astray, all of our lies, all of our betrayal, all of our addictions, all of our lust, all of our drunkenness, all of our hurting, all that deservedly should send us to hell. Jesus took it all in full. Believe it. Believe that he did that for you and you can be saved. And Christian, believe that again. When you fail, when you sin, when you don't humble yourself, look to the one who did humble himself, 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. And hear him inviting you home. That you can come back to the Father. That he's out there looking for you. I heard Matt Chandler say one time, and I think he's so true. You know you understand the gospel. That when you sin, when you blow it, that instead of running from God, you run toward God. Or, or this way. Empty religion says, I've sinned, I better hide from my father. The gospel says, I've sinned, I need my father. I've sinned, I need my God. He's ready to shear away your sins, to forgive you and to love you, and to empower you to endure and to walk in his kingdom today by the power of his son. So go to him, eat his body, drink his blood. Let's do that now. Let's pray together. King Jesus, help us to, to find where true greatness really, really is. Not in the pursuits of the world, not in the ways of the world, not in being great in other people's eyes. Who cares? But true greatness will come when we humble ourselves and serve others. And we give ourselves to those who are forgotten, those who are rejected, those who are ignored. When we humble ourselves to the point of barely being noticed. So help us, King Jesus. Help us to Remove the things in our lives right now that you've shown to us by your spirit, things that we need to cut out, things we've got to remove if we're gonna endure with you. Because empty professions won't do it. Because faith without works is dead. Faith without fruit is dead. So help us, Lord. And we know if anyone's gone astray this morning, they're here, you're calling them, Lord. Call them. Let them hear your voice. Bring them home. And it's in your name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen.